Подача Остин! Все-таки Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markson, and I'm the host of the show. Thank you for tuning in. Um, if you are not yet subscribed to our feed in iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcasts, please remember to do so. If you're a SoundCloud user, our most recent episodes are there. And if you have a YouTube account, you can subscribe to our feed on YouTube as well. So um, if you have any trouble doing any of that or finding us, um, let me know by getting in contact with me on Twitter. Uh, you can do that at SFCDELL underscore IVERY or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address, um, but I may soon be adding more L's to delivery because I keep accumulating them in fantasy football. Two more losses this week means that I am not running so well and it's not looking bright for the future. Um, but who starts Marcus Alonso? Who starts Marcus Alonso against Tottenham? Who decides that with, ne- never mind, that's not why we're here. Um, why we're here today is to talk about Saints, talk about the first win of the new season, the first Premier League win under Pellegrino. And I'll be honest, I was a bit confused uh, during the match. I wasn't particularly happy with how uh, the game played out. In fact, I was probably more angry and more frustrated by this match than than many others that I watched last year, which doesn't really make any sense because uh, we had plenty of attacking talent going forward. We had, you know, we created, I, I guess, plenty of chances. Um, but I was, I was a little upset at the way we failed to kind of kill the game off. The way we kind of, I don't know. I just didn't think we did enough against a ten man West Ham at, at in the moment. Um, but my guest this week, Luke Osman. This is the second time I've had the pleasure of speaking with Luke, and uh, you know, we kind of walked through the game. And and I have to say that. Uh, a few days removed from it, I feel much better about it. I'm much happier with the performance. Um, definitely things that we can improve on, but uh, good to get three points, good to um, kind of score from open play and from the penalty spot, all things we kind of struggled with uh, last year. So overall, I, I can't complain too much. And it looks like we have another player coming in. Our newest signing, uh, Lamina, was on the field and played fairly well um, after settling in. So um, all, all good things, I think. So um, Luke, if you don't know Luke Osman, um, I don't know why you're listening to this because if you somehow found this podcast without ever seeing any of Luke's writing, um, I, d- I don't know how that happens. But um, anyway, Luke writes for Reed Southampton. Uh, he also works for Fresh Press UK, which is like the overarching kind of hosting site of all the Reed networks. And so he also writes about other teams. But um, for the most part, he writes about Southampton for Reed Southampton. You can find him on Twitter at Luke Osman RS. And uh, for the most part, we're going to talk about the takeover or the partnership, however you want to to look at the sale of the club. We'll talk about West Ham. Uh, we'll kind of walk through that game. We'll look at his player ratings. Uh, and, and we'll also look at uh, the possibility of, of, of another defender coming in. And we'll take some listener questions. So all of that is coming up uh, on today's show. And I do have to say that if you're listening to this on August 22nd, uh, it is my birthday. If you would like to give me a present, 
consider leaving a review on iTunes. It takes a few minutes and it's a really great way to help spread the show to those who uh, maybe haven't heard about it yet. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Luke. Uh, once again, this is Luke Osman. Uh, he writes for Reed Southampton and for Fresh Press UK. You can also find his work on Yahoo. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Luke Osman RS. And uh, here's my conversation with Luke Osman. We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Luke Osman. He's the content executive at Fresh Press UK. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Luke Osman RS, and you can get his work at Reed Southampton or at Fresh Press UK. So Luke, welcome back to the show and thanks for joining us. Well, Clark, how you doing? Um, I'm all right. All right. It's, it's a bit early, but it's okay. How about you? Yep, not bad, mate. Thank you. All right. Um, well, we, we got lots to talk about, uh, given we got three points on the board. We're sitting on four points at, after two matches, lots of goals to talk about finally at home, but, uh, we'll, we'll see how yeah. we kind of feel about that. But can you just tell us a little bit? Cause last time we talked, you were, you were strictly at Reed Southampton and now you've kind of uh, gone on to Fresh Press UK. Can you just give everybody just a quick overview of what Fresh Press UK is and, and some, some of the other things you might write about or where, where else people can find your work? Yeah, I was very, I was very fortunate because, um, the guys near the top of uh, Fresh Press decided to uh, offer me a job with them uh, for my work that I was doing at Reed Southampton. So very grateful for them for doing that. But in, in essence, Fresh Press is a host sort of company for the Reed network. Um, so what I do for my work is I I write about football. I, I write about, um, in essence, what I do for Reed Southampton, but just on a widespread basis. So for sites like Reed West Brom, Reed Newcastle, Amongst many others, so it's quite um it's quite a fun job. So I you know I, I like it a lot, and I'm, as I say, I'm very grateful for the opportunity I've been given. All right. Well, I mean, I guess the things we we should talk about today: the club's been sold. We have the match against West Brom or West Ham. Sorry, we have a possible transfer, and then we have some listener questions. And I think that will pretty much cover kind of all the all the big issues. Um, yep. I don't I don't have any new information on on the Van Dyke situation so I'd rather not but if you if you have some information you'd like to share on that that's fine. Uh yeah. you know it's almost September 1st so we can almost talk about it again. Um Exactly. So I, I guess let's just start with the sale of the club because that happens uh it tends to happen whenever we release an episode something happens immediately after and la- after la- after we recorded last time the, the sale of the club went through and it was just like well it's too late to try to try to get this in now so we'll, we'll do, deal with it now but um, eighty percent of the of the club has been sold to to the Gao family. I think it's how you how you pronounce it. Uh, there was all this talk about Lander Holdings taking it over, uh, which is run by Gao and his family, I think. Uh, but now this is going through kind of his personal um, account. So it's him and his daughter. So uh, what does that signal to you in terms of of us maybe changing course in, in terms of how the club's run, or do you think it's more likely to kind of stay along uh, the same lines? I like the fact that it seems very family orientated, and I think that uh, I think that Cat would have ensured that she made the right decision by Saints. I think that she's got a an emotional attachment to the club, not maybe to the same extent that her late father did, but I don't think that she would have risked the club's future. I am encouraged by the fact that it's a partnership, and I think that that's that's a positive thing. I'm glad it's not a full takeover, and that Cat can still have her say. But I think that in terms of how the clubs run. I don't think we're going to see any imminent changes. I don't think the board is going to be altered in any way. Uh, I think that we're going to probably see the full benefit of the takeover maybe next summer because there's been an article out from the Times and, you know, recently that saying that, you know, um, we're going to have to sell to buy. That's not the case. 
I really don't think it is because, you know, at the end of the day, we're splashing 15 million on Wesley Hoot, as it looks, and we've already spent what could rise up to 18 million on Mario Lamina. I don't think that the finances are the issue, and it's a relief to hear that every single debt now is more or less paid off. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think what people are hoping for is that they're going to see kind of an influx of of cash into the club that that we're going to go out into the transfer market and and really make uh, a statement. And I think Buffal was our record signing la- up until last year, um, yeah. and we've kind of broken that with Gabbiadini. But it seems like that 18, 15, 20 million pound range is kind of where we're sitting. Whereas before we, we weren't anywhere near that, but I think some people want us to go out and spend 30, 35 million, but do you see, do you see anything like that happening? Or do you think we're, we're kind of, have to stay in that kind of comfort range of 15 to 20 million? I don't think that the board will shy away from spending a big sum of money on the right player, but I think that it's important that they are absolutely sure that that player is the correct fit for Saints. You know, you see, before before the summer transfer window, I think if you'd asked a large majority of Saints fans who the ideal signing would be, it would have been Guilty Sigurdsson, um, just gone to Everton. Now, while I can see that and I can understand it, do you really want to pay £45 million for a 27-year-old who doesn't really suit the style of play? And I know he's a very, very good player and he's technically excellent, but he's quite slow. He's, he's you know, I think he's a good player, but... Ultimately, the business that we do has to be right for the club and it has to be right for how the manager wants to play and the philosophy that the club works with him. And you look at transfers such as Lamina, that deal's come in. That's a player who sort of lost his way at Juventus at a big club since his move. And now he's got a point to prove. And I think that ultimately, regardless of the extra investment, we are going to stick to that ethos and we're going to stick to how how the board does things. And, be, and rightly so, because it has been successful. I think that... With the investment coming in, it'll allow us to compete with other clubs for these kind of players. I think that we will be able to search for a higher calibre of, of talent. And of course, with the inflating market, we're going to need to be spending more money to compete and to, to sign these players to keep us you know, within that top eight bracket. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that staying in that, in that kind of range and, and really not getting away too much from what the club has been doing for so long, do you think we can sustain that? Because I think some people think that Eventually, this has to give. Eventually, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna miss on a player, or you're not gonna find the replacement. And we've kind of maybe seen that a little bit with, you know, still having Yoshida and Stevens as our starting center backs. But like, uh, does that worry you at all, or do you think we're we're gonna be okay? I think that with every signing, there's there's an element of risk. I think that with our method, you know, it is risky. I mean, as I say, Lamina's sort of lost his way a little bit at Juventus and we've signed players that have fallen down the pecking order a bit like even Gabbiadini was fourth choice striker at Napoli but he's came in and you know so far he's been very good I think that in terms of sustainability that will depend on how we go about keeping our players if we can keep hold of the core of our side like we've you know well touch wood we're keeping hold of Van Dijk this summer hopefully Bertrand and Cedric then we've got a nice platform to build upon. You know, I think that if, if we can continue to keep hold of these players and we can still fine-tune the squad with a couple of extra additions, quality additions, I don't really think that there's going to be an issue with sustainability. Ultimately, players are always going to leave, but you know, it's all about cementing, cementing yourself within the top bracket of the Premier League and making the club an attractive, attractive place to stay. Now, do you think if we stay... Eighth or ninth, maybe push for seventh, push for Europe every every once in a while. Do you think that is kind of where we're at, given the money that's in the game and 
kind of the way that our club is set up? Do you think that's that's where our ambition lies, or do you think we, I guess, would it be unacceptable or kind of irrational for me to think that we're going to all of a sudden challenge and be in the top five or six every year? I personally don't see us breaking into the top six for a very, very long time, unless a fluke happens, um, such as it did a couple of seasons ago. And ultimately, with that top six, you're going to need one or two to drop out for you to even have a chance of getting in. I mean, I look at Everton again this summer. I'd, I'd regard them as our as our rivals now uh, in the Premier League in terms of league position. They've spent copious amounts of money on players, good players, admittedly. You know, they've they've brought in some some nice signings and they've strengthened their squad. But I still don't think they're any closer to being in top six. You know, I think that they are ultimately a level above the rest of the clubs in the league. And I think that we're probably the eighth or ninth best team, as you've, you know, as you've said, that's probably about the level we're at at the moment. So I think that really we just need to be doing all we can to get into seventh and to, you know, to, to better Everton. Because yes, they've spent a lot of money, but do I think that their squad is a lot better than us when it's fully fit? No, I think that they probably are. But, I think that, you know, let's say when Van Dyke comes back and let's say we get who, let's, for example, say our strongest lineup is on show week in, week out. I'm not convinced we're too far away. And I don't actually think that European football's that unrealistic ahead of next season. All right. Now, for me, watching the club over the past few years, I, I, I didn't go through, you know, going down to League One and coming all the way back through. And I've only ever been exposed to Southampton in the Premier League. So... For me, I've never seen the club kind of do anything other than buy players that I've never heard of for the most part and then bring them in and develop them and, and me be really, really happy with how that's going. And so for me, I see that and I'm, and I'm totally content to see that happen. Do you hear fans or do you, um, hear things that, that people really want us to, to change that up? Is there, is there a portion of the fan base that's hoping for that? Yeah. I think that we've obviously seen the divide on social media of, happy clappers and bedwetters and all that crap. You know, at the end of the day, we want this club to progress and we want to keep hold of the best players. I think that there won't be a fan of the club that wants us to, you know, sell Cedric or to sell Bertrand or, you know, with Van Dyke, there's obviously a bit of a bit of a delicate situation. But ultimately, yeah, as as we've you know, as we've already alluded to, there needs to be a, a shift in in mentality. Hopefully that's come this summer. Yeah, and I think the board has done well even to say to to Van Dyke, look, you're staying here, and and then stick by that. And they, they've they haven't spoken a lot about it, but they they've been pretty clear. Their their, their message has been consistent when they do speak that he's not going anywhere. The debts are paid. We don't need to sell. And that's it. And then it seems like some people just don't want to believe that. Like, oh, we've heard this before, and he's going to go. But I, I really do think that he's going to. I think I've gone back and forth, but I kind of feel like he's going to stay. And Unless the fans just it, it, the situation becomes so untenable that he that we don't want him back, but I, you know, he's kind of so good that you kind of got to let him back, you know. <laughs> yeah, this that's the issue. If it was any other player, you'd kind of think, well, okay, there's big money on offer. Let's think about this. Ultimately, we are never going to get an upgrade on Van Dyke. He is absolutely world class. Um, you know, ultimately, he's our best player. If he stays and he's still here come September the first, and he's willing to get his head down. How can you not play him? I mean, it, it's a, as I say, it's a tricky situation with him. But as, you know, as you've quite rightly said, the board of you know for for years now they've come out and they've they've said you know we won't sell this player. This year is going to be different. They've gone back on their words. You know, 
actions speak louder than words sometimes. And it looks as though this summer, you know, fingers crossed, they're finally, finally walking the walk instead of talking the talk. Now, if I asked you to give me kind of a number uh, in terms of, you know, millions of pounds that will be spent by the end of the transfer window by the Southampton Football Club, given that we brought in, we were brought in Lamina, uh, Hoyt's, you know, sitting there. How much do you think we're going to spend th- this window? Tricky one. Um, so we've obviously, let's, let's round it up, basically. We've, we're yeah. going to spend about 30 million, uh, you know, as such on Lamina and Hoyt, and then you've got about 5 million on Bednarek, 35. Um, I don't think it will be done just there. I can still see us signing an attacking player. So if I had to hazard a guess, I'd go with about 45 million. I think we'll probably spend 10 million on a player to replace or temp- temporarily replace Long or Gallagher, respectively. Well, yeah, I think I think that, that that's good, and I and I'm I'm interested to hear more and more about the the new part owners or majority owners. But I ran a quick poll online the other day, and like 83 percent of our of the fan base that voted is is at least somewhat positive feeling about the, about the owners. There's only you know 17 percent of people who don't who don't like it very much, and I think that's good. I think I think. For me, having, having you know read about the story about the levers and everything, I I have to kind of trust that they have the club's best interest in mind. That they they do love this club and they do want to see it progress. Which is part I think part of the reason that they're selling some of the club. You know I think they they realize that they they can't always do it in this market and this is going to be uh, making a step forward for for us. So I hope uh, that's the case and you know that that's just what I'm going to have to go with for now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that. As I've, as I've already said, I mean, I don't think Cat would ever put the club in, you know, too much danger. Uh, I think that with every takeover comes a risk. You know, you don't know which way it's going to go. But, you know, as, as has been said, she doesn't feel as though she can take the club further than it is at the moment. I think that we need to be careful uh, and we can't expect too much uh, straight away. I think that this takeover has put us in a very, very good position. And I think that now, financially, we're probably the best we've ever been. But that doesn't mean, as you know, as we've already as we've already discussed, that doesn't mean we're going to be spending 40, 45 million pounds on players straight away. I think that um, overall, there's going to have to be a sense of pragmatism with it because this is new to us. We're not we're not used to it. You know, the Chinese owners may not, perhaps they won't have the the knowledge of the culture of English football. But I think that on the whole, you know, as your polls already sort of suggested, the consensus is that we're all quite excited about it. Sort of maybe cautiously optimistic. So we just got to put our faith in Kat that she's made the right decision and back the Gal family. Yeah, I, I think I think that's well said. I think cautious optimism is 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 necessary, and that's probably the best way to approach it. Um, and, and I guess I I mean we don't really have any other information on it, so I don't think we should hammer the same point over and over and over. So I don't know. You you mind moving on to the to the West Ham match? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, now, last time we spoke, you you're a season ticket holder. Did you change seats or anything this year? You changed stands? Are you in the same spot? Uh, same stand, still in the chapel stand, but I've gone about uh, 10, 15 rows up. Okay. Now, where is that in relation to the away fans? Uh, that is on the opposite side of the ground, um, just left to the goal, uh, but obviously about three or four rows from the back. Would you have been behind the goal then that uh, the last penalty was scored? Yep, certainly was. All right, all right. I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, <laughs> um, so let's let's start with with the lineup. Um, I think we were all kind of hoping that Lamina was going to make his way in there, and we were kind of interested to see who who was going to lose out and and what happened. But when the lineup was released, 
and and I have to say that here on TV, NBC, which is how we can watch the game here in the US, they have changed the way it's kind of all set up. They have put up like a and they call it NBC Sports Gold, which is now like a, a, a different package you have to buy regardless of whether you have uh, a cable package. And yeah. uh, they guarantee that every team will play on there at least three times. Uh, and Southampton have been on there the first two matches. So that means that a lot of people in the U.S. have had to either pay or not watch, um, which I don't think is good because I think it's kind of the uh, the teams that are finished eighth and lower last year are going to wind up on that channel more. And I think that just gives more exposure to the to the big teams, which means you're going to have more fans of the big teams, which I don't really like. Um so when they posted the lineup yesterday, after the lineup was posted by Southampton, they had it all screwed up. There was just it was such a mess that I I couldn't help but like laugh at like this is why we can't have you know nice things in the U.S. and we just can't we can't even get the like just copy the lineup from what Southampton put out because that's probably the right one. But um anyway, here we go: Forrester, Cedric, Stevens, Yoshida, Bertrand. Uh, then we have Lamina Romeo as our as our kind of defensive or holding midfielders, and then we have Davis, Tadic, Redmond, and then Gabby Dini up front. When you saw that come out or when you saw them line up, were you were you satisfied with that? Do you think that was the right decision or, or how would you maybe uh, have changed that up? I think on the whole, I was pretty satisfied with that team. I was happy to see Lamina start. Um, I want to see Bufal start in some matches. I really do. I was a bit intrigued by the by the decision to put Davis on. Well, it, it looked on the team sheet right midfield, but I think in the game he played more just behind the striker. Right. I think he had a neat and tidy performance, so I can't really grumble about it. But um you know, I, I couldn't really. There's no real complaints as such about that team. I think that there's there's a consensus that Tadic and Bufal can't play together. They tread on each other's toes a little bit. But I'd have quite liked to have seen Bufal start out on the left where Redmond was. Um, but aside from that, I don't really think there was a lot else I would have changed. All right, I, I I can't really disagree too much. I kind of thought that Davis might make way for Lamina, and that we might see Ward Prowse out on the right and in Tadic in behind, yeah. but. I can't, like you said, he can't really complain. He didn't, he, he played pretty well. So I guess, I guess we'll just kind of go ahead and, and, and go from there. And I think that, that sets us up for, to talk about the changes that happened later in the match and, and we, when we get to that. So, um, into the first half, when we started, what did you, what did you make of the first half? I know we scored kind of in the 11th minute, thereabouts. Good finish for Gabby Adini. But how did, what did you think of our first half performance? I was really impressed with how we were in the first half. I think that, yeah, it was very, very similar to, you know, how we played against Swansea. Last week, I think that we are gradually seeing what Pellegrino wants to do and how you know how he wants to play. I was impressed. It was nice, quick football, nice combination play out wide. Uh, we were progressing the play from deep, well, turning defence into attack, and you know ultimately we you know actually took our chance when it came to us. I mean, we saw from that goal from Gabbiadini, it was excellent. It was really manufactured between two players, and that was him and Redmond against about six West Ham defenders. So. It looks as though the players have a bit more confidence in themselves to, you know, to go and drive into the open space and to to play that killer ball. I think that the first half on the whole was positive, but it shouldn't be overlooked just how bad West Ham were either. They were terrible in that first half. So the second half then, you know, credit to them, much improved. Yeah, and at the opposite end, just before we scored, um, West Ham had a similar chance and their striker or whoever got on the end of it tried to go near post and just blasted it kind of into the side netting into the stands. And the announcers here were saying, no, that's not, that's the, that's not the proper move. And then you turn around right away and Gabby Dini goes across Joe Hart, um, into the net. And I think that I, at that point I yelled and woke everybody in my house up and it was still pretty early. <laughs> so, um, but I was, I was very excited. And I think that getting the goal early kind of lifted the team. 
you know, and, and it kind of, yeah. that pressure to that over nine and a half or whatever hours it was, nine and a quarter hours of, of without scoring kind of gets lifted and everybody can just kind of go like, all right, let's just play football now. And here we go. Um, but did you see the Tadich yellow card on Chicharito? Did you see that challenge? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was, um, it was rash. It was late, but you know, I don't think it was a malicious one as such. Tadich was quite apologetic afterwards. Um, I think yellow card was probably right. I think that, I think it was Lee Mason, the referee yesterday. He got a few decisions wrong, but on the whole, he got the key ones right. He had so many decisions yesterday because that game was kind did, of, yeah. it was kind of, I mean, it was kind of rough. There were a lot of challenges. There were, it, it was, it was kind of chopped up a little bit. It, what didn't seem like it was, uh, seemed like just when we start, everybody started to get going that there was some sort of a foul or pull, pull back or something. And it was, play was constantly pulled back. And, um, I don't know. I think, I think he had a lot to do and, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to complain about him too much. He gave us two penalties. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and he didn't, he didn't call, there was some, some claim for Steven for a handball on Stevens and he didn't, he didn't give that. So he, he did us, I think he did just fine. Um, one thing I did notice in the first half even was that before Onatovich got sent off, he several times was, kind of making diagonal runs across Cedric and kind of in behind Stevens. And it didn't seem like we were dealing with that very well. Did you notice any of that? Did you see him kind of uh, taking advantage uh, of those two at all? Or, or was it just kind of me kind of picking on them a little bit? I think with Arnautovic, he's a very, you know, he's a very direct runner and he's always going to be looking to find the pockets in between the two defenders. He did it quite often at Stoke. But I think that, I don't know, I don't think it was too much of a danger for us. I think that we would have sussed it quite soon and it was all about you know stopping the with West Ham I think it's more about stopping the supply because you know they have got the players to make the most of the opportunities that they get and that was shown by how Hernandez had I don't know two two chances yesterday and he took both of them so I think that ultimately Arnautovic early on his runs weren't too bad you know he was he looked he looked up for it as we saw because he's gone and elbowed Stevens you know a bit too up for it by the looks of it but um I think that in the first half we cope with them reasonably well when, when that elbow went in and he gets sent off, at that point, we're man up, we're goal up, we're playing pretty well, and I kind of just, I'm hoping we can go down and get a, the, another goal, just kind of put it out of reach right away. And eventually we do. We go down and, and Font commits the penalty, which we were joking about uh, online before, that Font's good for a penalty. And I guess we, we failed to mention that that they lost uh, Reed before the game even yeah. started. He went off. So I think that that caused some issues because now all of a sudden the guy that's going to be back there directing traffic, cause that's not font in this team. And now he's got to be that guy and they just, they look to be a, a bit of a mess. So um, I think that played into our hands a little bit too, but the font, I think was a clear penalty. He clearly pulled Davis back. Tadich kicks it off the feet of, of Hart for, for a goal. And at that point, I think we're feeling good. I, I was kind of feeling that the game should be over at that point, but then, you know, late on in the first half, um, Antonio turned Romeu fairly easily and got a really good shot. I was really kind of impressed with him yesterday. He was good. Uh, I was actually really surprised that they, they took him off. I think I think where he's um I think it was his first game back from injury, so I think that he was maybe lacking a little bit of match fitness. All right. He turned the way he turned Romeo and got that shot through the traffic and I was a little bit disappointed that Forrester kind of put it straight back into Chicharito's path, but looking back on it maybe maybe that's a bit harsh, but um at that point what was the atmosphere like in the stadium? Well, I think that throughout the game, it was it was up and down, the atmosphere. I think that at the start, you know, when Gabbiadini scored, the place was as good as I'd seen it in a long, long time. Last season, the atmosphere really wasn't very good. Um, when Chikorito scored, 
Yeah, it was it was tension more than anything. I think that where they were down to ten men and you know we were cruising two 0 it kind of felt as though we were going to really kick on and go for the throat, get you know get three or four out of the game. But um, it was a very very Southampton goal to concede. You know we 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 weren't picking up the key man on the day and we Forster really should have tipped that round the post or or held onto it because ultimately. Anything that you spill in the box when a, when West Ham have got a player like Hernandez, you know, you, you're putting yourself at risk. So the atmosphere, it was still good, but it was perhaps a little bit more reserved. Kind of when I was watching the first half, my, my kind of my positive kind of moments were one that we scored. We've gotten we've gotten a goal. We've kind of lifted that curse. Our build up play was really, really good throughout the half. I think I think that we we kind of sliced through them fairly easily. Um, we just lacked maybe the final pass or the finish. Uh, Cedric had a, had a missed cu- a couple opportunities. His, his crossing yesterday was, was dreadful for the most part. And he was one of the most accurate crossers of the ball all year last year. So it's, it was difficult to see that from him done unexpected, maybe to see that from him. But then I, I was looking at the negatives and given that we were up a man, I thought we, we gave the ball away a little bit too much. I thought Lamina, you know, granted first game in the side, but, um, passes weren't quite there. Uh, the rash of poor challenges across by both teams. Um, and I kind of expected us to control the match a little bit more. Um, did you, did you think we did well enough in the first half to control the match? Or do you think that we, we could have done a little bit better? I think that in the first half, for the large majority of the, of the, um, 45, I thought we were, thought we were good, thought we were in control. But, you know, it, and it can happen in football. I think that we were put at a disadvantage when they went down to 10 men. You know, they, Sort of approach the game with a bit more, a bit more aggression, a bit more urgency. And I think that that probably didn't help coinciding with the fact that we probably took our foot off the gas a little bit. But, um, yeah, as you say, I think in regards to Lamina, I thought overall he had a positive debut. I thought that there were some signs there that he will be a success at the club and that he does suit the system. But yeah, I think I agree with you. There were a few wayward passes in there on the whole. Pretty satisfied with him. I think that we need to learn to kill games. We were probably shocked that we went 2-0 up at home. So, you know, we need to develop that killer instinct again because we had it uh, in the 15-16 season under Koeman and, you know, we were able to kill off games. We need to do that now. Mm -hmm. You know, halftime stats, when you look back at them, we had lots of possession. Uh, Shots were pretty even. Shots on target, we had fewer, actually. Um, But we did have, you know, like I said, a lot more possession. I think that's something we were used to last year. Um, but I think we, we definitely have a little bit more attacking intent. We were going kind of after them a little bit more for, for the most part. But then the second half, and I have to say that I think that them scoring at the end of the half kind of changed my perception of the half, which is unfair because I think for the most part, for 45 minutes or 40 minutes, we played really, really well. And I think we had one moment of kind of lapse in judgment and, and they took, they took advantage. So I think I allowed that to kind of color my, uh, my perception of the, uh, of the first half. But, uh, moving into the second half, not necessarily the same performance. What did you what did you make of of, the, of our second half performance? It, it was a weird one, really. I think that we knew that West Ham were going to come out of the blocks, you know, firing on all cylinders, looking to you know get that equaliser and get a foothold back in the game. But I think that we we lost our way a little bit. I think that I, I couldn't really put my finger on what went wrong as such. It kind of felt like we lost our head in possession a little bit. We weren't we weren't looking to play that killer pass. We weren't particularly. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I think that, you know, as I said to you before we started recording, to to lose a two-goal lead against 10 men 
at any level is unacceptable. I know we came out with a win, but that cannot happen. Against a better side, we'd have been punished. In regards to in regards to the second half, I don't know. I think it might was it focus. I'm not sure. Complacency. It's it's difficult to say. It's difficult to put your finger on what went wrong in the second half, but it was quite similar to the Swansea game. We just couldn't quite find a way through. I don't know. I, I like you said, we I wanted us to just attack, attack, attack and, and really kill it off. And, and we when we weren't doing that, I was growing more and more frustrated in my house. And at that point, everybody's starting to wake up. And so the kids are like, <laughs> they're 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 vying for my attention. And I'm just like, I just want to watch, you know, I just want to see. And then nothing's going right. So at that point, I'm kind of like frustrated. But um, the sec- ultimately, uh, we get another penalty. Um, Austin very coolly puts it away. Uh, and I don't know if you saw the quotes online that that said uh, yeah. Noble went up there and said, you know, he knows Hart knows which way you're going, and Austin said, "Well, I'll just put it the other side and it'd be done." Um, but and I thought that was great. But before before that, um, I want to talk a little bit about the substitutions because I think this is this is where we're going to see what Pellegrino is able uh, to do and and how well he can manage the game. Because last year, I think a lot of us were frustrated and confused by some of the substitutions that. Uh, that Puel was making. And I think that was a big point of contention for a lot of fans. What we did this time was about 65 minutes. And you mentioned that Lamina, uh, we mentioned that Lamina kind of first game in the, t- in the side. I'm not surprised he came off, especially because I think he, I didn't check the stats, but I, I'm, I'm assuming he did more running maybe than, than Romeu as he's going kind of more box to box versus sitting and holding. But James Ward Prowse comes on for him. What, do you, were you okay with that decision? Because uh, I think what happened was Davis dropped back to where Lamina was playing, and James Ward-Prowse went outside. Is that is that kind of right? I think that it was probably a sensible decision from um, from Pellegrino. I'm not the biggest fan of Davis sitting and holding midfield as such. You know, I, I think that he's very much a number eight. He, he's not he's not a man to sit. You know, he's a, he's a more of a box to box player. But yeah, I mean, Prowse came on. I didn't I didn't think he had a particularly good cameo appearance when he did I mean the cross in for Yoshida which earned us the penalty was a very very good ball but um, no I don't know I just didn't think he influenced the game as much as I would have personally liked okay. however in, or- in order to balance the play a little bit more I think that he did a you know he kept things neat and tidy in the large part so you can't really complain too much and I think that he's going to have a good season yeah and now when he came on we're still up 2-1 you know nine minutes later West Ham equalize and now we're looking and I'm, I'm, I'm at this point, not, not super stoked. And, and I think, you know, maybe I'm giving the manager too much credit, but I'm thinking the next two substitutions, we've seen Austin for Gabbiadini again, uh, which is normal. Um, but then I think the decision to bring on long for Davis and push James Ward Prowse back to kind of sit and put long up that gave us, I think that changed the game. And I don't know if once again, I'm just being uh, maybe too generous here with the manager and I want him to succeed so much, but I, I think that was, the best decision he could have made at that point because it brought something that we didn't have in the team up to that point. But what did, what did you, what did you think about it? I think ultimately, you know, the double substitution was quite a risky one. I think that bringing on two strikers, taking off a midfielder, you know, it, it showed the intention and it showed that we're not, you know, we're not going to settle it. I don't know if it was two, one or two, two, two at the time, to be honest, but you know, it, it showed, you know, it showed balls. It was good. Um, I'm not personally the greatest lover of Shane Long, but I think that ultimately chasing down, you know, lost causes was probably what was needed. I think that, you know, he applied pressure to the defence and he gave us something to aim for at the end of the day. So I can't really 
knock that from him. He didn't do too much badly, nor did he do anything right. But I think with Austin, what you're going to get is something perhaps a little bit more simplistic than Gabbiadini. You know that Austin's going to be in, in the box and you know that he won't necessarily come too wide to receive the ball or he won't drop deep. He's going to be looking to be a fox in the box, much the same as Hernandez was yesterday. And, um, you know, okay, the service really to the strikers wasn't perhaps the best in the second half. But I think that on the whole, the change made by Pellegrino was quite a bold one. And ultimately it paid off. So I was happy to, you know, I was happy to see that he got it right on the day. Now, kind of looking at the match overall, you you wrote a piece for Reed Southampton. Uh, you did the match ratings and the, or the player ratings. Anybody along the defensive line really stand out to you as, as having a good or particularly bad match? It's strange to say when you when you draw, well, sorry, when you when you win three two and you can see two goals. But I think that Yoshida and Stevens were actually pretty solid. I thought that Yoshida made a number of very very good blocks, but perhaps fell asleep for the second goal. Maybe Jack Stevens. Barely put a foot wrong again. Very, very good. Calm on the ball. I like how he brings the ball out, out from the back into midfield and he's capable of picking out a pass. I think that he's shaping up to be a very, very good player for us. So I was quite happy with them. Cedric, on the whole, not a bad performance, as you've already alluded to. His crossing wasn't particularly great and he missed a couple of very, very good chances, but we'll let him off. We know how good he is. Um, as for Bertrand, I think that he was quite disinterested in the first half. He looked, he wasn't really meeting the ball. He wasn't, I don't know, uh, you know, his body language in general, he's quite a calm, laid back player. And I think that that's probably why he's so good. But I don't know. He, he, he didn't look right yesterday. As for Forster, um, well, uh, he made a couple of good saves. I think he should have done better with the first and the second. I'm not sure. Yes, he did well to tip it onto the bar, but you know, I just wonder how, you know, if he if his reflexes are good enough. I don't want to call him a liability, but he's it's becoming you know increasingly frequent pattern that he's at fault for quite a few of our goals. And I don't know. I think that we'll probably give him till January to prove that he is better than what he showed last season. Yeah, and somebody was pointing out that you know we had England's number one and number two in that match in a match where we saw five goals, and not all of them were their fault, but. Yeah. You know, that's not what that, that can't be, uh, very encouraging, uh, on a whole to, to the country, um, and the national team if that, if that's happening. And in, in America, we can't really say that because, you know, our, the last two goalkeepers that we had that played in the, at a high level in the Premier League have now been told to go back home. So, <laughs> uh, th- thank you, Bradley Guzan, for making, for make, making the nutmeg great again. So. Moving up, anybody in, in, in midfield or in, in the attacking kind of third, I don't know. Anybody make a huge impact other than the Charlie Austin coming on and, and, and making an impact with the penalty? I think yesterday was a weird one. I didn't think there was many standout performances as such. I think that Romeu was, you know, as solid as ever. He did what he always does, strong in the challenge. Lamina, you know, as we've said, I think, you know, he, he made a couple of errors, but on the whole, he had a positive debut. Stephen Davis kept things neat and tidy. He, um, he sort of faded out of the game in the second half a little bit, but I think that's where West Ham sat back a little bit and he obviously dropped deeper and, of course, then subsequently got taken off. Redmond, he was quite quiet yesterday. He was quiet against Swansea too. I think I'd consider, as I say, you know, maybe consider changing him for Buffal or for um, Ward-Prowse for Huddersfield because uh, I think that regardless of whatever happens, there's going to be some changes made on Wednesday for the Wolves match. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, Tadic, yes, he scored a penalty. 
but did he do a lot else? Not particularly, no. He's always good in August, so I'm I'm tempted to want to say that we should stick with him. But uh, I don't know. He needs to have a good season. As for Gaviadini, he took his goal very, very well. He only had really one clear chance and he took it and he hit the bar with an excellent effort. Mm. But um, I'd like to see him maybe stick to his role a little bit more. I think that he's always hungry to take the ball. He's always hungry to get on the ball. We saw him coming deep, you know, for that shot that did hit the bar. You look at his starting position, that's our striker there, 25, 30 yards out while the team's ahead of him. Um, And he came wide for the ball. But I think that he's at his best when he's moving in between the two centre-backs and when he is, you know, in in those little pockets of space. So, you know, I'd like to see him maybe maybe restrict himself to being in the box a bit more or making those runs but um on the whole i can't i can't really complain you know he he took one he took the one chance he had and you know he's opened his account for the season yeah yeah um i guess the only thing we didn't talk about is that is that noble challenge on on lamina i mean obviously you're in the stand so you don't necessarily have the best view you don't get the the close up replays that that we get on tv but uh Fair challenge, just unlucky to to for both of them to kind of come out hobbling, or do you think that was a as a card or anything else? Well, initially, from where I was sat, I was quite a way away. I just sort of thought it was a fifty fifty. I thought you know it could have gone either way, but having looked back at it at TV, that's a pretty bad challenge from Noble, and I think that ultimately he's gone in with his studs up over the top of the ball, and he you know he's there was a picture that Lamina put on Instagram of the actual damage it did to him. There's a, you know, there's a very, very big cut. You know, I think that perhaps on another day that could have been a red definitely. But, um, I think Noble did that largely because Lamina might've led with his elbow in a battle in the air with Arnautovic that left him down with a head injury. I don't know. I think, I think once like that, they're always down to the referee's interpretation of it as to whether he did lead with his elbow. Did he have his eyes on the ball? There's a lot of there's a lot of different facets that you need to take into consideration with ones like that, but um, if we're talking directly about the noble one, yes, that's a red card for me. I don't think noble has a has a reputation for being that type of player, and I think being the captain and not having that reputation, it's not John Joe Shelby who's known for stamping on people like he did last week. So I think in Lee Mason's mind, he's already put them down a man. He's already had a bunch of big decisions to send him off there. I think he just goes like that is. That's probably not something I can do unless it's super clear. Um, and I think, I th- if I remember correctly, I think he was right on top of it, and he he chose not to do it. So ultimately, I think I think maybe Noble got away with it a little bit. But moving, I don't know. I guess I guess going forward from the match, we we need to learn how to kill the game a little bit better. We need to kind of have that that desire to do so. But ultimately, I'm really happy that we're. We, one, we've scored at home, and and two, that we have exited that match with three points, and I think we'll be more confident going going away next week in in the league, and that when we come up with teams like West Ham, who people are saying should should finish around us, that that we are that we can beat them, you know. Um, yeah. But I guess looking uh, at at the transfer market and looking at at Hoyt coming in, I think that's how you say it. I'm not even sure where where does he fit in to the team where who makes way for him in the back line is he a starter uh, all of those things so what, what do you what do you think about him i think it's a very very difficult one um i don't doubt that he will start when he you know hopefully does sign i, I do expect him to come in and be a starting center back but it's a case of who drops out in you know and either yoshida or stevens i think that both of them have been good you know they've barely put a foot wrong this season in my opinion i think that they've they've both complemented each other very well. I think that they've stepped up, 
you know, they've stepped up to the mark. But it's just it's strange to think that, you know, come come mid September we might have a completely different centre back partnership to what we've got at the moment. I think that Hurt will probably come in for Yoshida. I think that the club and maybe Pellegrino will be keen to see how Stevens can develop next to you know next to the man that will be starting for the majority of the games and I think that the club will want to put Stevens first. I I agree. I think that Stevens has to remain in there because I think he is kind of the future for for our team. I think Yoshida is consistently the next best center back we have. He sh- that should be him. He should be the the, the third choice always. And it's nothing against him. I think that's his role. And I think he's, he's kind of adopted that role and stuck with that role. But I don't, I don't see him as being, you know, even age wise, I don't think he's going to be around forever. And I think Stevens has a much longer, brighter career ahead of him. And I think eventually, if he's not better already, I think he will be a better center back than Yoshida. So I would expect him to, to stay in the team and I would expect Yoshida to make way, but you know, we'll have to see. Another thing that I, I, I think about, about him is this is, you know, in my, my mind, this is the third Dutch center back that we've had or we've looked at. You know, we had Kuman who didn't play for us, but, but was a Dutch center back. VVD, who this hasn't gone well either. And now, and now Hoyt. So, um, are we, is this third time a charm? Are we going to have a better experience maybe, uh, with him? I, I, got, I don't think really think there's any way to answer that, but I'm a little worried. <laughs> um, I think that with, with, with players and with managers nowadays, I mean, nationality aside, they want to be playing or managing at the top. I mean, Kuman. I think it was quite clear to see what he left for. You know, I mean, if you offered me six million a year, I think I'd probably take it as well. But it's just the circumstances and the way in which these players, have, players and managers have gone about it. You know, there's there's ways to leave a club. There's ways to go about wanting to leave a club. Um, as for who, I'm really not sure because you know the the boy is, I'd argue, fourth choice centre back at Lazio now. So. In all honesty, he's in need of a bit of a spark. He needs to, I suppose, it's difficult to say where he's only 23, but revitalise his career here. He needs to be given the same run of games that he was given at Alkmaar and given given the belief and the confidence. So I think that he's got the potential to do very well here. I think that he's a good defender. I think that he will take some adaptation to the league and its pace. But I'm confident that if he does sign, and I do expect him to, that he will be a success here and just fingers crossed he doesn't he doesn't go about things when he does want to leave in the same way that Koeman and Van Dijk did. All right. Um, we have some listener questions here and thank you to everybody who sent in their questions both on Twitter and Facebook. Um, thank you for using the hashtag uh, SFC Dell to make it a little easier to sort through. And, and Jay, who's at FFSJAAY, uh, says, does Luke think Virgil van Dijk will remain at Southampton on September 1st. Uh, so that's a yes or no. What do you think? Oh, that's difficult. Um, yes, I do now. But, you know, it's, it's strange because since about January, I've been pretty adamant that Van Dyke will go, you know, this summer. And throughout the, the course of the window, I've still sort of thought the board will, you know, eventually give in to Liverpool. But at this stage, you know, at this, we've got 11 days, you know, 10, 11 days left of the transfer window. I can't see us going back on our word now. I think that it would cause an absolute uproar if it happened. And yeah, I think that Van Dyke will stay now. See, I, going through last season, kind of thought he will be here. He will play one more year for us. I didn't anticipate 
the behavior from him or his agent or whatever's going on that we don't, you know, I don't think we have all, all the details, but I didn't expect that from him. I thought he would give us a year, you know, he signed the big long contract. Uh, and yeah. then my kind of, I've, I've gone the other way. I thought, oh man, like with all this, he's, he's got to be, he's going to be gone. But, you know, the board has said no. And I've, you know, I'm not sure how you deal with an unhappy player or, or whatnot, but, you know, Christian Candler, who's at underscore Candler has another question related to Virgil van Dyke. And he says, you know, if he's not sold, how do you go about bringing him back into the team? How do you integrate him back into the team? What what would your approach be for something like that? That's a good question. Um, it's, it's a difficult one. I think that we've already heard players such as Redmond Davis and Austin come out and say that, you know, Virgil's situation is personal only to him and that, you know, it's, it's down to him and the club to reach a healthy conclusion. I think that the team, the, you know, the actual team would probably open him with welcome arms. As with Pellegrino, I suppose that he just wants to have the best players available to him. It's all about Virgil himself here in the fact that we hold all the cards, yes, but he's the one who's got to knuckle down and he's the one who's got to show that he's committed to the cause for another season and that he wants to, you know, he wants to push on and he wants to establish himself ready for, well, you know, in his mind, a move next summer. I think that we need to be wary with his fitness as well. He's, you know, he's not yet played a game. He's only had a few full training sessions with the squad. I know he went out to Austria, but this is a bloke that hasn't played since, you know, mid-late January. That's seven months. He's not played a Premier League game or anything. So we do need to be careful with him if he does come back. And I expect that, you know, let's say he is here on September the 1st. It won't be until maybe October that we do see him. Yeah, it, it's got to be a weird situation. I think the players, I, don't, I, I would think that the players understand the situation a little bit better than we do. They understand that there are, their careers are short. You know, they're finely tuned athletes, but they are at risk of, of getting injured and having that career end. You know, um, you yeah. only, you only have so much time to challenge for, for trophies and to make the money that's hopefully going to carry you over for the rest of your career. Cause I don't think, uh, a lot of these guys want to go and have to, you know, continue to work maybe after this. Uh, maybe they, they want to go into coaching. They want to do something else, but I don't necessarily think they're, they, these guys don't want to go out and get nine to five jobs afterwards, as was the case, you know, maybe 30, 20, 30 years ago when guys didn't make as much money playing the game. But now I think for these guys, they have to watch out for themselves. And I think as fans, sometimes we, we forget that and we just expect them to, to, you know, only think about the team. And, and I, I would like that, but I just don't think that's necessarily a, a realistic outlook on, on things. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, so we have Luke Hiscox says not a saints fan, but wanted to know who would you want to join saints that aren't currently mentioned in the papers? Uh, realistically. So do you in your head, and if you don't, we'll just cut it out. But do you in your head have somebody that's in that kind of price range we talked about earlier that, that maybe could come in and, and help the team? Uh, and, and who would that be? It's difficult really. Cause I think that there are, a couple of positions that might need some work so you know if we're saying that van dyke and you know van dyke stays and who who, who comes in and that's the centre-back situation sorted I th- i'd like to see a new goalkeeper myself but i think that that's one of those where we'll cross that bridge when we come to it for me we need a versatile uh, attacking player so a bit like Mane was it's difficult to really pick out a player like that because players that share the same qualities that he had are very, very rare. I think that a player that would be quite well suited to us would be Quincy Promes of Spartak Moscow. Now, I'm not going to come out and say that I'm an avid watcher of the Russian league, but having watched him, you know, on several occasions for the Netherlands and, and, you know, knowing fully well that he's highly regarded 
out in Russia. I think that he's got qualities to 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 suit the Premier League. He's quick, he's agile, he scores goals, he can take players on. He's got a good cross on him. And he's got age on his side. He's about 25, I believe. So I think he'd probably cost about 20, 25 million. But I think that after a little bit of adapting, I think you'd probably get your money's worth out of him. So I think if I had to pick out one player only, it'd probably be him. So yeah, I think Promes would be a good signing for us. All right. All right. Jem, who's at SFC underscore Jem, says, if we sign a center back, where do you both think? So I have to answer too. Uh, we will finish come the end of the season. I can go first because you've been, I've just been peppering you with questions for the past hour. But, um, <laughs> for me, I think if we sign one center back or if Van Dyke stays, I think, I think that seventh, eighth position is, is somewhere we, where we can challenge. I think we have to take our chances, but I think that would be, I think that's, I think that's reasonable. I think, I think, uh, you know, definitely top half of the table, probably, you know, kind of the best of the rest, kind of like last year, I guess. Yeah, I think I, I sort of agree with that. I think that if, you know, let's presume that questions with Van Dyke staying in mind and, of course, us signing who, I think that there's no reason, as I say, why we can't challenge Everton. I think that, you know, we can definitely give them a good go for seventh. But um, I don't know. I think that I can see us finishing eighth again and I'd be okay with that. I think that probably at this moment, and a lot of it does depend on Van Dyke if he stays or goes, but with him in contention, I would regard us to be the eighth best team in the league. So that'd be about fair. All right. All right. Um, midfield question from James Barlow, who is at the Barho, which is awkward. Um, if you stick with the age, do we stick with the aging Mr. Reliable and Steven Davis or go for the future in a risky push and go for Buffal, Hoiberg, James Ward Prowse, and then also somebody else added Lamina in that question. So, um, for you, does Steven Davis stay in the midfield or do you, do you phase him out? I think while we play with two defensive midfielders, it's difficult to find the best position for Davis. Um, it's tough. I think that without a doubt, the best partnership we could find in the double pivot would be Lamina and Romeo at this moment in time. So then it'd be a case of making room for Davis uh, in the attacking four. For me, I would like to see us, you know, play positively with a bit more of an an attacking edge at, at home and maybe against the, with all due respect, smaller teams. So maybe playing, for example, Bufal, Tadic and Redmond behind Gabbiadini. Whereas maybe in away games against tougher opposition where, you know, the midfield battle is going to be very, very strong, perhaps use Davis in that number 10 role so that he can drop in to make a 4-3-3 in defensive transition and a 4-2-3-1 going forward. I think that maybe we need to manage him carefully because he's 32-33 now. So, and you know, he's not going to be around forever. We we do have players in there to replace him. We've still got to encounter the issue we've got with Hoiberg and Klazi and where they fit into the mould. But I think that I'd personally, for the majority of the time, I would like to see uh, Romeu and Lamina as the midfield two. And then probably if we're looking with, with a view to the future, probably be Ward-Prowse, Bufal and Redmond behind and then we have another guy, Harry, Harry Frankham, who says, uh, from Facebook says, why do you dislike Hoiberg so much? But I don't know if he's joking or not. So I think, uh, yeah, I think he, I think he's joking. I, um, I, I do like Hoiberg. I, I think he's very good, but I think that we need to, I don't know with him. Uh, Cause I mean, he's not even been on the bench in the first two games. I think that he's a talented player, but, um, you know, this is, this is the issue with having a squad of 25 solid players. It's the fact that, Ultimately, you are going to disappoint three or four. 
I mean, you know, we've, we've benched, uh, Klazzy's not even been on the bench, Hoiberg hasn't. And, I mean, look at Sam Gallagher as well. We all thought that he might have a little part to play this season, but he's not made a bench yet. Yeah, and there was talk of him going on loan, possibly, after last week I said I yep, thought he would stay. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Perfect. Yep. Um, now, I guess, do you think, do you see a role for them maybe midweek against Wolves? Do you think both maybe we see Classy and Hoiberg play together there? Um, I think that at least one of them will get the opportunity. I expect it will more, more likely than not be Hoiberg. I can probably see Classy being offloaded in the final sort of days of the window, just based on the fact that we don't really need him. I mean, it, it shows, you know, how strong now the the squad is in, in large parts in the fact that, you know, we can freely discuss about how a full established Netherlands international isn't needed. Um, but yeah, I think that we will see some fringe players get a go. I think that Hoiberg will start. I expect uh, Bednarek probably get a game. McCarthy in goal if he's fit enough. I think Austin will probably get his start. Buffal will as well. I think that, yeah, there will just be like a bit of a mix really. Wouldn't surprise me to see Pellegrino experiment with a different formation either, but we do need to be wary of Wolves. They're no pushovers. They're a good side. They play good football when they've got, you know, some very, very talented players. Now, I kind of expect us to see a similar, maybe a similar squad to what we saw against um, Augsburg when we, we, we obviously we didn't, didn't go well for us. But yeah, I think that would be more along the lines of, of what we're going to see. But, but who knows? You know, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, I don't think I will get that match here because it's not a Premier League match, but I will still probably listen on the radio if I can. Um, and hopefully, you know, we, we make it through that and, and we can kind of push on there and then kind of carry that momentum away next weekend. Yep. Fingers crossed. I mean, that, that's just it. Getting that first win under our belts on, um, on Saturday was important. I'm hoping that that, that now kind of gives us the motivation to kick on and string together some, some good performances. And, you know, mostly it'd be good to get that away win at Huddersfield as well next, um, next Saturday. And as we're speaking now, they're one up against Newcastle. So if that carries on the way it is, they'll have won two games in two. So it's, you know, again, no easy game in the Premier League. No, no. I, I think anybody who thinks that just hasn't watched it because it's, I think it's crazy. Um, yep. All right. Well, Luke, I, I really appreciate your time. I'm sorry we went over so long. Um, I appreciate you putting up with all the kind of issues, but uh, it's wonderful to have you on again. I'm glad we got to talk and I hope we get to do it again. Brilliant. Thank you very much. All right, man. Uh, you have a great day and I will uh, talk to you later. You too. Cinnabit. Once again, that was my conversation with Luke Osman. You can find him on Twitter at LukeOsmanRS, and you can get his writing on Yahoo Sports and all across the Read Network. So be sure to be on the lookout for it. Give him a follow. Read the articles. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Um, while you're on Twitter, you can follow this show at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash SFC. Delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. And I really do enjoy engaging with people on Twitter. I can't always respond because I have to work. And sometimes, you know, the boss doesn't like it if you're uh, tweeting about football where you're supposed to be, you know, I don't know, teaching kids or something, um, you know, whatever. But um, I do enjoy it. So, so don't be afraid to reach out, uh, whether it's criticism, whether it's uh, a compliment, whether it's just retweeting uh, one of the links that we put out there, all that stuff is good. And please, I encourage you to do so. If you haven't done it already, be sure to subscribe to the feed in iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcast to be sure that you do not miss an episode. Don't forget, we're also on SoundCloud and YouTube. And 
If you are enjoying the show, consider leaving a review wherever you do listen. That really does help spread the word to other people. It helps push the show up the charts and all of those things. Um, and that pretty much does it for this week. But before we go, we'd like to thank the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Uh, for match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. I cannot thank Matt enough for all the support he's given me. Matt runs the page and he's done the logo for this show. He's been a guest on the show and he's given me lots of feedback and help along the way. So thank you to Matt. Be sure to check out We Are Southampton on Instagram. And although that does it for this week, y'all are in for a treat next week when I talk with Christian Candler. Uh, we're going to talk about Wolves. We'll talk about Huddersfield away. We'll talk a bit about the transfer market uh, if anything happens between now and then. And we'll also discuss which breed of house cat makes the best pet for a single university age male. Um, still kind of working on the last one, but I think we got it uh, pretty well locked and loaded and ready to go. So can't wait to talk with him again. And um, yeah, until next time. Remember that together, we march on.